Hello and welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. We are glad that you are with us this evening. A Reason for Hope, in case it's your first time, is all about your questions on the Bible. Uh, we believe the Bible is the Word of God, uh, breathed out by Him, profitable for many reasons. And we love to get into it and see what it has to say. So if you have a question along those lines, maybe there's a verse or passage of Scripture that you've come across that you would like to uh, be explained. Maybe you have a question on what the Bible says about different lifestyles or choices that we make. Maybe something on a personal level where you're going through something and you'd love to know what the Bible says, what God says about those things. A big part of the Christian life is growing in the knowledge of, of God in His Word. Um, I know that from my own life, just what He says about different things and choices we should make and ways that we should go and not go and those kind of things. So any question along those lines, maybe even other religions as they compare uh, to Christianity, other worldviews, things like that. As long as it's an honest question, and as long as you know that we are getting the answers from God's Word as accurately as we possibly can with His help, that's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope. My name is Dave Robson. I am your host today. I'll be on all those platforms with you. I'll be going over those in a moment. We're live on multiple platforms. I'll be there in all the chat functions. Uh, receiving your questions as they come on in with us today my two noisy guests over here just <laughs> <laughs> super noisy <laughs> super bro. noisy would you settle down it's like a newsroom in here this just in uh, we have <laughs> pastor Bo Willette he's the assistant pastor here at uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship that's right where we are broadcasting from it's, yeah it's, it's Tuesday to, it's Tuesday yeah. Tuesday time with Bo man you know that the problem with doing something once a week you start to see how quickly the weeks just go around and around it's just like yesterday you were here yeah but yeah Tuesdays you're with us so thank you for being yeah, with no us problem. And it's a the blessing and a, always a joy. Yeah, and we never know where it's going to really go, so it's very interesting to yeah, see always what kind of questions are going to come in and what you guys are going to say and share. And I yeah. always learn something. I know I do. Uh, also with us, our regular, your favorite, Pastor Sean Richards <laughs> as well. <laughs> that <laughs> hey, your favorite. That <laughs> list is sharply dwindling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I only care about myself, my favorite, so you're my favorite. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to interrupt your reading over there. From the <laughs> from the <bird. laughs> That's right. Like <laughs> We're in a giggly People mood. People on radio are books, that one. Always, always in books. Reading. Oh, always What's the he book. doing? I don't know. He's going to share something with us, I'm sure. Is he studying again? I think he <laughs> is. Again. He's brushing up. Last minute. Last minute brush up for the test that's coming. Yeah, so <laughs> anyway, thank you both for being here. As I, as I mentioned, a Reason for Hope is a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here, Mountain Standard Time. Uh, here in Tucson, Arizona is where we're broadcasting from, from Calvary Christian Fellowship. It's a ministry and outreach of right Calvary Christian Fellowship. Right up on Christian that hill. Fellowship. We're right up we're right on that there. hill. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, someone by the name of uh, Gannon McGee uh, painted that, uh, painted and painted. He took that photograph I'm like painted. Wow. that we used. Yeah, beautiful picture, but that is right here in Tucson. So it is accurate. But I don't think we're on that hill. <laughs> 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 I think we're amongst all the prickly cactus. But, but anyway, if you go to Calvary Christian Fellowship, dot com is our website that's a great place to go uh to see our our, our live streams um especially if you're someone that's not on social media or boycotting social media or whatever if something goes down we have more control over calvarychristianfellowship.com that's our website so you can go there click on that live tab and that will take you out to our live page and uh, if you are in the tucson area and looking for somewhere to uh, fellowship somewhere to go to church you're welcome to um, come join us we're near prince and i-10 on the west side of the freeway 
Um, we have services Sunday and Wednesday evening. We have lots of Bible studies going on, support groups, all kind of stuff. So take a look at our website for more information. You're welcome to reach out as well. But calvarychristianfellowship.com. If you click on that live tab, it will take you to our live page or just type in ccftucson.online.church um, into your web browser. That will take you right to that same page as well. You'll see we're live there. You can sign in with a username of your choice, and then there's a chat function that you can interact with me, your host, and send your question in. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next event, and you will see a schedule of upcoming events as well, so you won't have to miss a thing. We are on Facebook. We've had some technical issues connecting with Facebook, but uh, hopefully we're live tonight. It worked yesterday. Praise the Lord. So hopefully things are good there. But uh, facebook.com slash Tucson, or look for Calvary Christian Fellowship on Facebook. We'd appreciate it if you would like and uh, share. Uh, and then send your question in through the chat function. Once again, I'll be right there with you receiving your questions. We have an, uh, an app for your mobile device, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Once, once again, search for that in your app store. And then if you have Roku or Apple TV, if you go to your channel store, you can add us as a channel there as well, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. And you can watch us on your Roku and Apple TV device on your big screen, um, which might be very disturbing. But you can do that. Blow us up big, life-size probably beyond life size um, but that's there for you as well another way that you can join us we're on youtube a reason for hope is the name of the channel on youtube if you go to that uh, live tab anytime we've been live uh, it's archived there for you so if you missed a show or you want to listen to a question that we did again or even watch our services here it's all right there anytime we're live yeah and once again don't forget to like and subscribe and if you click that notification bell you'll get prompted when we are live as well so you won't have to miss anything so again a reason for hope is the name of the channel on youtube and we are live there as we speak our pastor here our senior pastor scott richards he's not with us today he'll be back uh, tomorrow and for the rest of the week um, he is on twitter if you'd like to follow along with him scott r4h scott letter r number four letter h he posts highlights from the show and uh, like highlighted questions like short versions of the the answers basically and also just commentary on world events. There's so much going on in the news and around the world, the Middle East, and things um, relating to end times and prophecy, things uh, predicted in the Bible, that kind of thing. So follow along um, with him. It's very interesting and gives you lots of calls for prayer as well and some funnies and shenanigans and tomfoolery. So if you're on Twitter, Scott Arthur H. We're on Rumble as well. We're not live on Rumble, but we post videos there if you're using that platform, A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. And we have an email address, of course, questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. You're welcome to email us there, especially if you're joining us on the radio. We're glad that you're listening in. Drive safely if you're on your drive time. But you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. We're not live with you on the radio, Reach Radio, or one of those other radio affiliates. But um, keep that email address in mind, questionsforhope at gmail.com. And we'll try to get to that question that you send in on our next show and then consider joining us when you can, when it's safe to do so on one of those other live platforms as well. And you can be with us live. Uh, well, with all that being said, once again, send your questions in. As long as it's an honest question, there's no stupid question at all. <laughs> we would love to receive it. We're sure if you have a question on your heart that other people do um, as well. We often get that comment that somebody wasn't brave enough to ask a question, but it got asked by somebody else. So do send those in and we would love to delve into the word and find the answers to those questions with you. And if we don't know the answer, then we'll get back to you on that, I guess. We'll just think about it and study more. 
or wait for Pastor Scott to be here and give him the hard ones. <laughs> yeah, why not? But uh, anyway, why would you like to yes, pray for to us? Pray. Yeah, let's do that before we proceed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Father, we thank you that you are a holy God and we remember you um, and what your word declares about yourself, that you are holy, that you are righteous. And Lord, we thank you that your word says that you are slow to anger and rich in love full of compassion and mercy. And we do pray for uh, everybody that's listening, everybody driving, wherever they're at right now. Um, we pray for safety for them. We pray that, uh, Lord, you'd fill them uh, full of your love. Uh, may your grace abound in their life. And uh, Father, for those out there that are listening and, and might not know you, might not know your word uh, much about it anyway. And, and I pray, Father, for them too. And, uh, Lord, help us on the show. Always remember uh, uh, where we've come from and, and how it, it's been by grace that you've moved us into this place. Uh, and we thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, mm. amen. Amen. Amen indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Well, a question to kick us off. This is a great question based because of what we're doing here. Yeah. But a question from Bill. Why yes. the Bible? Um, I mean, like we say, we're here to answer people's questions from the word, not our opinions, but from the Bible. Yeah. And his question is, why the Bible? Why is it distinct from other religious books? Of you know, there's many, the Quran and many religious writings and opinions, gods even. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. What evidence is there that the Bible is true and containing true accounts and events? Or is it just wishful thinking? Is it just something we grew up with? And you know. Yeah. What a great question. Yeah. One that one that certainly I, I I've asked many times. You know, growing up. Yeah, and personally. Yeah. yeah, when you grow up, um, you know, where I grew up in Southern California, very secular, very atheistic, very naturalistic, humanistic um, uh, philosophies. You know, everybody's influenced by philosophies and ideologies. Um, it's just which one are you influenced by? Yep. Um, and so he a asked a couple questions, and I know Sean's ready to go with this answer. And I'll just say um, that to answer the first thing he talks about like uh why is the bible how does how does it distinguish itself it sound like differently from yeah. other books and and i would say um in many ways um <laughs> the, uh, and one of them is just historically um the bible is written in in uh the context of history um meaning there's person places things. Um, uh, so when you go to even a college, you can take biblical archaeology. Um, you can study biblical history. Uh, you could study biblical languages, yep. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, where And, and that's, that's very um, different from a lot of books that I grew up reading. So like if I, when I read, read the Bhagwan Rajneesh or, you know, the Mustard Seed, um, you know, different books that were spiritual books. Um, they were a lot different. They weren't like the Bible at all. It, it really didn't have a, a historical context. It was a mm. lot of just sayings, mm. um, like, uh, you know, in, in a sense, spiritual sayings, yeah. almost like uh, almost like if the Bible was just the Proverbs, you know, if like we have a book in the Bible called the Proverbs, but a, and it's a, a lot of wisdom literature. Um, it, it is wisdom literature. And a lot of spiritual books out there are kind of like 
the Proverbs in the sense that they have their own kind of wisdom literature. Mm. But the Bible's way more than just wisdom literature. Like I say, it's, it's, it has a whole history, a whole language, kings, um, you know, all kinds of places to look up. And like I said, these things are to study and to research. And you can go to these places. We can get on a plane today and, and go to these places. So um, that's how it's distinguishable from other religious books. Mm. Um, and it's not just that it has a historical context, but it is a verifiable historical context. It's one that can be verified. It's one that you can go and, again, you could look at these places, see it. Um, uh, it's So there's no, like, fairy tale place. There's no once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away in the planet right. of you know, Yetar or something like that. And, and this makes the Bible very uh, distinguishable from other texts, is uh, why we would look at the Bible and go, man, the Bible is a lot different. Now, from when I first read the Bible, it, it blew me away how different the biblical text was. I, I was shocked that the Bible was so rooted in this historical context. Um, Abraham, from a certain land and it wasn't just some land that was made up but you could actually get on a uh, go to an ancient map and find out where Abraham was from you all the characters in the Bible are all pe people with historical context mm. their lineages are in their bi in the Bible it's amazing just as you and I have a lineage so we see that the biblical narrative of how is it is within a um, a family lineage as well, yeah. you know? So a lot of us don't even know our, by the way, our family lineage that well. Right. You know, we kind of get blown away when we see like uh, a family tree. We're like, wow, that's so amazing, yeah. 400 years ago, you know? <laughs> well, the Bible is written like that. It's, it's, uh, it's written in this kind of family uh, history um, of, of course, the Hebrew people. And so it doesn't just name people, but it gives them their, their family backgrounds. I mean, it goes through all their children, or, or a lot of their children. Um, and uh, there's an, uh, so, and then there's uh, one thing that very dis is very distinguishable in the Bible from other texts, really from the very start, and that is um, you have a, a, an interesting God who's outside of time, matter, and space, within time, matter, and space, meaning everywhere in time, matter, and space, and in a single point in time, matter, and space. So there's yeah. a very uniqueness to God um, uh, of the Bible at the very beginning. And also the other thing that I was going to share is that, um, um, oh, man, it just spaced my brain. That's what happens when you get 51, Sean. You just, boom, it just popped out of there. <laughs> But uh, I was going to share another thing about uh, the book of Genesis that I found so unique um, when I was reading it. But um, anyway, I, I kind of spaced it. But Sean, you want to go from there? It might come back to it you. It might come back. We'll come back it to you. It might yeah. hit me. It might hit me. Yeah. Yeah. Go take a lay down. Anytime. Um, when it comes to why the Bible compared to other religions, uh, first of all, we don't dismiss other religions because they're not a part of our tribe. I've got my Quran right here, and I can tell you exactly where chapter and verse it made me not trust it as a reliable source of spiritual truth. Because like Bo said, if you don't get history right, then you can't be trusted to get spirituality or mm -hmm. ethics right. 
And it's important to note the distinction because when we're talking to people about quote-unquote evidence, most of the time they don't know what they're asking for. Evidence just means something that would make something else more likely to be true. When they are expecting evidence to be just a series of words that remove and dispel all doubt, Mm -hmm. which is very hard when talking to someone who's already building up a stack of doubt so high that Mount Everest might feel impotent. So Mm -hmm. when we're talking to people about evidence or when people People ask for evidence. First of all, categorize what kind of evidence, and hopefully they know the kind of topic that's being discussed. For example, if I'm talking to someone who's very emotional in their experiences, I'm not just going to go right out with just the facts, ma'am. I'm going to appeal to them on the basis of my testimony, because that's the sort of things they're familiar with. That's what they'll listen to. If, on the other hand, I'm talking to someone who's very again, straightforward, wants information, I'll go to sources that can verify the claims about people, places, and things in the Bible, and the things that we can verify, because notice, if you can't verify every syllable of the Bible, atheists and hostile sources to Christianity will say, then that disproves all of it. Meanwhile, their sources and their reasons for believing things are just at face value, even if you only have a few details here and there. We want to be consistent. But when it comes to judging religious texts from one another, first of all, most religious texts don't claim to be what the Bible claims about itself. In three categories and genres of literature, like Bo said, history, poetry, and prophecy. Man's events as they saw them, the perspective of men as those events were taking place, and God's perspective on those events. Prophecy, that yeah. was the one. Ah, so keeping those things <laughs> in order. <laughs> Predictive prophecy, and we can get back to that in a minute as well, but yeah. I know there's plenty that can be said about it. But when it comes to statements about the future, observations in the present, or even records of the past, when it comes to verifiably false statements, and I don't mean in the sense of, well, I don't have enough information to disclaim or to uh, prove the opposite of this because I already hate the Quran. I'm going to say that this is an error just so that I can get out of wearing a burqa or whatever. No, this is a literal <coughs> statement made in history that we can verify from not only Christian but non-Christian sources as false. This is Surah 4, 157. And they're saying, surely we killed the Christ, Isa, son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. They did not kill him, and they did not Sabala him, that's usually understood to be uh, crucified, but it's a Persian Syriac word. We're not sure what it means. But it was made to appear to them, and surely those who disagree about him are in doubt of him. They do not any have any knowledge of him except following the conjecture. They did not kill him for certain, yet Allah raised him up to himself, and Allah was dear wise. So in the Quran, there's a definitive statement that Jesus was not killed or crucified. There are Muslim scholars that try to have their cake and eat it too on this subject by saying, well, it's so so ambiguous and vague that it's not necessarily saying that Jesus never died. It's just saying, most would put forward, a substitution theory, or someone was disguised supernaturally to look like Jesus. Now, first of all, the denial of Jesus being crucified, we can go to atheist sources like Bart Ehrman, who would say that the most verifiable fact about Jesus' life is his death specifically by Roman crucifixion. This is supported by members of the uh, atheist-run Jesus Seminar, which is 
filled with people so far on the left end of the spectrum they're about to fall off and they would make some of the most definitive statements about anything regarding Jesus it all centers around his crucifixion but even if that's dismissed not just in terms of historical reality this makes the message of Islam incoherent because if you ever talk to a Muslim and I hope that you do you're going to run into them saying that we respect Jesus we honor and value him as one of the prophets but if you look at Quran uh, chapter 4 and verse 157 among others you realize that this means that Allah created Christianity by accident because the the uh, taking up of Jesus to heaven and disguising someone else to look like him was so convincing even to the disciples which according to the Quran were also good Muslims that they believed that he physically rose from the dead as the gospel which Surah uh, 3 3 through 4 and 1827 both affirm as the word of Allah reported that he rose from the dead, then the Quran comes around 600 years later to say, no, that was actually Allah tricking you. The Christians that went on to believe that he rose from the dead were actually deceived by Allah because he did such a good job at disguising Jesus. This isn't just historically inaccurate, it's theologically incoherent. You look at things like the Bhagavad Gita and dismissing the entire concept of morality based on the lack or presence of desire. No one can live that way. I could note human experience and note that there's more to ethics than desire, not just philosophically, but personally. That there are things, regardless of how I feel about them, that can be right and wrong. And I don't determine right and wrong based on my desire towards them. I determine them based on an objective nature. That's important. We can go on and talk about Zoroastrianism and how the uh, equating of an evil god and the implications of that means that there is no absolute standard for right and wrong because the nature of the quote-unquote evil god, Ahriman, is just as much worthy of worship as God as Ormazd. We can talk about pagan sources noting which one do you pick as the one that you determine the right way to live by because there are aspects of Odin and Jupiter and other natures that are fundamentally in conflict with other beings that are also called God, and if I want to be the best possible person, I want to know what right living is supposed to be like, I look at that God and realize, as I'm gaining favor with him, I'm violating and dishonoring that of another, and it ends up canceling itself out as a coherent moral system, on top of the fact there are no historical sources or information that can verify the reports in the Theogony, if you want to do Greece, or the Prose Edis for Norse pagans. On and on it goes. We've done our homework, but the point being made is this. If we are going to pick the Bible, I hope that and there are people who just come to relationship with God because that's the place that they grew up in, that's where their family's at, that's where their tribe's at, it quote-unquote works for them. Hmm. I don't dismiss the relationship with God that they may have at that point, but we should always strive and encourage one another to build each other up in the fear and the knowledge of who God is. And understanding that God's put his credentials on the table, we can verify beyond a reasonable doubt more events in the historical narrative we call the Bible than any other event in history. Just to be brief, uh, for example, we go into the event of Isaiah 37 regarding King Hezekiah and Shennacherib's occupation of Jerusalem. His army disappeared, 185,000 men in one night. Isaiah reports that it was the angel of the Lord who killed them all when they threatened his people, but we would look at that 
that and ask, well, 185,000 people, uh, army that was dominating the entire Fertile Crescent during the time of the 8th century, that's going to leave a historical footprint, don't you think? Why is the Bible the only one reporting this? And it's not. You can go to the British Museum today and note on the Taylor Prism, reporting Shanakrib's legacy, that his uh, well, basically, this is the summary of the event, that his army was going down south to meet a threat, a rising threat in Ethiopia, which was basically anything south of Egypt, but overcoming a large kingdom in northern-ish Europe, northeastern mostly. But in answering this threat of Ethiopia, they were passing through Jerusalem, and then Sennacherib's report says, and then he returned home and was murdered by his two sons. Where did his army go? Where's the spoils? Where's the report of the battle? Why is it that the Assyrian Empire all but vanishes off the face of the world scene after this point? You can go to Isaiah. This is what's called uh, multiple attestation, going to different separate sources that would report the same basic event. The Bible and those events report it right. We have reports of Abraham leaving the kingdom of Ur, of the Chaldees in modern-day Iraq, and what's interesting is noting it, describing it as a civilization. We bury, we uh, dig down to what was buried throughout the ages, and we find the banner of Ur and lapis lazuli engravements showing they were very technologically advanced for 2000 BC, and him traveling to Canaan, which was also an established civilization. We have archways of cities that date down to those times as well. It fits the places. Hmm. the people going to places that would have existed in the details they describe them. Well, what about in Exodus, where it notes the, um, in Exodus chapter 4, I believe, it notes that the Hebrews were um, instructed by Pharaoh to build without being provided for straw. It was literally a power move, basically. They asked for a three-day weekend, and Pharaoh said, oh, you got all this free time, huh? Well, you guys are required to make the same amount of bricks in your slave labor, but we're not going to provide you the uh, trips to Home Depot. You're going to have to get that yourself. And so requiring the materials, they had less and less straw to the point where it was just, you know, spittle, basically holding those things together. Why don't we see that archaeologically? Well, we do. It reports in Ramesses at the time of Moses' writing, but you dig down below the city of Ramesses, what was called then Avaris, and you see buildings described or buildings literally constructed with the same type of bricks described in the book of Exodus. It lines up. Well, what are other reports about the Hebrew people? You can go to the letters that were written between Canaan and Egypt during the time of Joshua and them being mentioned as Haberu, Haberu by name and describing them as roaming Canaanites that stuck to the, uh, the uh, mountains and attacked nearby villages but stayed away from the larger civilian complexes, just like Joshua and Judges both report. We can go on, but the point being made is this. If it comes down to it, the one thing that can spare us, you know, all of this brain-melting information and saying, I can't remember that in conversation, the one thing that make or, makes or breaks Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, which according to 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7, you're quoting the Bible to support the Bible. It's circular reasoning. It's a written-down creed, a doxology literally, one of the earlier hymns that the church sung to 
each other because a good number of them were illiterate, but they could remember, they did have functioning brains, they could remember songs and lyrics and things that they would share with each other in this format and said, okay, what do we believe? And it centered around this, that Christ, the Messiah, a Jewish term, died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, that's referring to the Old Testament, See, again, predictive prophecy, more from Bo on this in a moment, that he was seen, ah, now we're in the term of history. Histor literally means eyewitness, someone who was there to witness the events. He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. Ah, it's not a hallucination. It wasn't something that Peter made up. It was something that was seen individually and by groups, and in particular by a man who admitted to denying he ever knew Jesus when it was threatened or suggested that he would join him in his arrest not exactly someone who's going to be bragging about his great faith. He has to admit to certain things. We call that accounts of embarrassment, which makes history more reliable, not less. But I digress. Then by the twelve, then by over 500 brethren at one time. Paul notes in his record of this hymn, some of which remain, but most have fallen asleep. A euphemism for death, which is repeated in that same context in the chapter, he makes the point that most of the people at the time of this writing who saw Jesus alive after his public execution, thus rising from the dead, were alive to be asked about it at that time. Now, we don't have that benefit today, but we do have a multitude of documented eyewitnesses who can all be tested and verified to be telling the truth. Why? Well, there's a simple principle when it comes to sincerity. You can die for a lie. Sincerity that's not invested in truth happens every single day. There are Muslims that die for the nonsense in the Quran. But you don't die for something you made up. You don't die for your lies. The apostles to a man, the ones that were sent out, literally what apostle means, by Jesus to share what he had done, who he was, and how he proved it, with the world and told them what? You're to go and make disciples of every nation, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so on and so forth, and I'm going to be with you, claiming a divine title, someone who could be omnipresent and making sure he's omnipotent, he could make their mission successful. But note that point. What is he saying? As I'm sending these guys out, every one of them died to a man for something they knew firsthand whether or not was true. And that's the point. When it comes to our willingness to trust, That's the definition of faith, by the way, trust with reason, something that's based on a foundation. Then you can come to an objective conclusion and say, well, I don't want there to be a God. I don't like the idea of there being a God, but it seems like everyone but my emotions are pointing to the fact that there is a God who's revealed himself in history, that the records, both in the Old and New Testament, seem to be getting things right more often than they can't be disproven, but can't be verified either. And this is the point. If you want to hold the Bible to any fair inquiry, I recommend looking at the legacy of people who have objectively done so before. And I don't mean some atheist blogger from his mom's basement talking about, you know, Russian bots and so forth. I'm talking about people who are actually experts in their field, people who can actually go to the places that are being claimed to be reported about in the Bible and say, this is where they said it, 
Show me where and when. What can we look for? If they're describing civilization, is it near a water source? Do they have archaeological remains that we can dig up? And if you go to Israel today, most of the place that isn't covered in farmland or terrorist camps is in what we call a tells. And a tells, they're these basically mounds of dirt where they haven't had time or opportunity to dig through and look through just the layers of civilizations that have dwelled in those places. What we have discovered got more to work with in the Bible itself. We can talk about people who are noted on coinages. We can talk about hostile witnesses. We can go on and on. We've done studies on this before. But if you want more information, it's out there. The main issue is that the obstacle between people trusting the Bible and not isn't the presence of evidence. It's the obstacle of their emotions. They've already decided the Bible's not true. You just sign it, yeah, or I'm going to make fun of you. And yeah, and, and, and I could testify to that. Like, you know, being raised, um, you know, with uh, uh, one of my parents was pretty hostile against the Bible. Mm. Um, and when you come from more of a secular, progressive background, um, the Bible is a part of the hegemonical power structure, if you will, the evil of the world. Mm -hmm. And um, and so you got to kind of come down hard on it, um, you know, uh, never, you know, you and, and, and there's a lot of, of course, flaws to that way of thinking and, and problems. But when you're raised in it, that's just how you think, yep. you know, um, you kind of think that, you know, Christians and the Bible is all wrong. And you kind of see it as just another book, but the Bible is so unique. It's a collection of books over uh, three different continents over a long period of time, mm -hmm. you know, 1,700 years probably with more than 40 different authors. It's, it's a very unique collection of books. Yep. And, um, you know, and again, when I read it, um, you know, it, it was so true to the world that I saw. There's something that that is a, a very scientific fact, and that is you're going to die, and um, and the Bible states that that is the great enemy, and that was very true. Um, I also saw another thing that was very evident in the world, and that was that something is wrong with human beings. Yeah. We uh, constantly get it wrong. <laughs> we cannot seem to get things right. Um, we know of the right. We have these amazing understandings, and we write about it. We do art on it of love and compassion and everything like that. We have moments of it, but all we have is moments of it. We can't seem to continue it. So again, we we um, I, I saw that the Bible had an answer for that. That very much went uh, hand in hand with what we observe in the world that human beings. We have a image of, of the right, but we can't seem to get it right um, consistently. We're always going, we're always bending the wrong way. Um, you know, and so, you know, I saw that there was a, you know, the Bible talks about our corrupt nature. I see in the world that there's a corrupt nature. Um, so we need uh, a need for redemption. Uh, the, all these things where y you look in the world and you see that the Bible and the way it's talking about our world very much meets. Yeah, lines up. Lines up mm -hmm. with our world. And, uh, you know, where another spiritual book I might read feels almost like it's not really in, like it's, you know, it might have these interesting sayings, like, if you just know the known, then you will be known and you'll be free. Yeah. <laughs> 
cool. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that was cool and everything. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. But, it, but I don't know if that really makes much sense to the, our world, why our world's the way it is. Right. Um, uh, why us humans have all these problems, yeah. you know? The other interesting thing is the Bible says we're made in the image of God so we can think about God and we can, uh, in a sense, uh, reason about God, mm. um, which is very unique. And, and I find this very odd. Lions, animals don't think about God. They don't ponder God. They're not pondering these things. Yep. But we as human beings do ponder these things. Yeah. And the question is, is mm. why? Why do we? Why would we ponder a god or gods for that matter? Right. Why would we even think about this? Yeah. You know, what is it about the human condition that makes us yearn for answers yeah. uh, about the afterlife? Right. You know, it, it, why? Why is all this in us? Yeah. You know, why do we grieve? Why if do we everybody grieve? dies? Every- aren't we used to it by That's now? That's right. It's a great question. I <laughs> yeah. used to ask. The why same is it question. so disturbing when somebody dies? That's like, right. When your mom dies, it. so what? You yeah. know, when your dad dies, so what? When right. your you know kids die, hey, that's life. Yep. You know, why do we? Why do we cry? Why do we mourn? You're mm. so right on. There's something in us that yearns, and the Bible speaks about this: that we're made actually in the image of God, that we actually have a um, there's something in us that is always looking to this God yep. and this hope yep. of the afterlife. Um, and so, um, anyway, that, so it made a lot of sense. That's yep. for sure. Yeah. I know that's a long answer. Yeah. Well, it's a big topic. Yes. You know, it's a big topic. And obviously we base not yes. only the show, but our lives on the Bible. So yeah, it's worse. we didn't get it, even into all the predictive prophecies that we could have got into. And I mean, there's a lot of things that make the Bible super distinct. So great question, Bill, yeah. man. Stoked that yeah. you asked that one. Yeah, good question to ask. Yeah, we have other questions coming in. So why don't we, why don't we just forge on forward here? Okay. Kevin had a, a pretty specific question about Joel 3 verses 6 through 8. I can read it for you guys in a moment here. Uh, His question is, what is it talking about? (laughs) What exactly does it predict? Joel chapter 3 verses 6 through 8. It says, uh, also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem you have sold to the Greeks that you may remove them far from their borders. Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them and will return your retaliation upon your own head. I will sell your sons and daughters into the land of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, uh, to a people far off, for the Lord has spoken. So what exactly is this? What's going on here and referring to? Yeah, well, Joel 3 doesn't begin at verse 6, it begins at verse 1. Let's note that. For behold, in those days at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. So this is speaking of the last days, uh, Jehoshaphat noting decision, and it goes on to use that as intentionally as a only a pun could be in the end of the chapter. But it's making this point of emphasis that's described in verse 4 as the following. Indeed, what you to what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon, all the coast of Philistia? Will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head. Verses 5 and onward give an example of that. You sell my people into slavery, I'll sell you into slavery. It's noting a time of judgment. I don't think we have to go excuse me, into more detail than that, but that's the point. It's not the Bible saying, okay, the new slave trade's going to be everyone but the Jews this time. 
No, it's noting the way you treated my people, I'm going to treat you. And in this case, it will be noting what Jesus described in more detail as the judgment of the sheep and the goats, that I will separate you from those that mistreated my people, and you will answer for it while they'll be rewarded mm-hmm. for what they did. That's the point of Joel. Got it. Right. So it's, it, it kind of comes back to that passage of um, the sheep and the goats. Yeah, it's the valley of decision, the yeah, final the judgment. Judgments. When I'm gathering my yep. people back from all nations, I'll also gather all nations into a specific valley in central Israel. Now, what's that in reference to? That's noting very much end-end times, like transition to the millennium end times. Now, if that's then the case, and if you hold a literalistic, futuristic view of the end times, which we do, I, that's what Joel's talking about, is they'll be given an account for how they treated Israel. For the, If you did not do it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And if you did do it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. The nations will answer for how they treated the Jews. Great. Good with that, Bo? Yeah. All right. Kevin, thank you for that, uh, that question. Appreciate you being part of the show today. Uh, let's move on to Robert's question here. Good evening, my brothers in Christ. Good evening to you as well. Thank you for being part of the show and your question here today, Robert. Uh, so my question and comment is on the topic of once saved, always saved versus you can lose your salvation. This is a big topic that comes up a lot. So yes. my question is, are we really asking the right question when it comes to if you can lose your salvation, uh, salvation after you are saved or not lose your salvation? I believe that if you have a right relationship with the Lord, and you're cultivating it, then you really won't have to ask the question whether or not you will lose your salvation. I also believe that you can choose to walk away from the Lord. How do I have a civil conversation with a brother who believes you can lose your salvation? Thanks and God bless. So once saved, always saved. Yeah. You can lose your salvation. Can you, you know, revoke your salvation, walk away from it? Yeah. Any insights on that? This is good. Well, I'll just, I'll answer one of his questions or, and that is how do you deal with, uh, or how do you really have a good talk with a a brother about this subject? And I think what you do is you just want to affirm the things that the Bible affirms. And I think if you stick with that, uh, premise in the conversation, then, uh, you might, actually be quite agreeable uh in that conversation with the brother and what so affirm simply what the bible affirms so when the bible affirms eternal security you want to say yes so when jesus says hey no one can snatch you out of my father's hand my hand absolutely when jesus says you did not choose me but i chose you that you should go and bear much fruit, right on, absolutely, that's right, that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast, absolutely, he's able to keep us in perfect peace, absolutely, he's able to present me righteousness, or or holy before uh, God, the Father, absolutely, blameless, he's going to present me blameless, it says, (laughs) wow, that's radical, great, awesome, you know, um, we've been elected, our eyes have been open, you know, we've been predestined to become sons of God. Amen. You know, you affirm the things that are affirmed. Right. You know, then the passages that say, if you continue on to the end, you will be saved. Amen. <laughs> to that one too. <laughs> you, know, you know, those ones that say, choose this day who you will serve. Hey, that's right. You got to make a decision. You got to choose, you know. Um, you know, the ones that, uh, you know, abiding in the vine, if you don't abide in the vine, man, you'll be broken off. Okay, 
you know, I agree. We affirm that we have to abide in the vine. I think it's really important that you just say yes to the things that the Bible is teaching in the subjects, in these subjects. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times what we're trying to do with our um, systematic theology, sometimes what we're trying to do, um, or our list, we're trying to fit it into a certain type of theology or kind of theology. So um, we're trying to fit it into a Calvinistic theology or an Arminian theology. And we're yeah. trying to make sure all the points are in that box, right. you know, and that's where we run into problems um, because we just can't seem to fit it all into our little, uh, you know, our little chosen theology box. Right. And uh, so we write giant papers and giant books to try to get it to fit. Yeah. Um, and that's what we see that a lot of people have done. Um, and uh, instead of just saying, yeah. You know, yes, that's right. right. You know, there's eternal security, absolutely. Right. Or yeah. fit in their own reality. Yeah. You know, fit like, well, God can't be th one and three. Right. So that can't be true. You know, God can't be everywhere and just in one place. So that can't be true, you know. But yeah. the Bible says God's ways are not our ways. Mm -hmm. His ways and his thoughts are higher. So it's okay to say, like, yes, this even though in my understanding, these two things can't coexist, but with God, he's beyond all of that, you know? So yeah, you know, it's okay to not understand. I, I'm glad I have a God that's beyond my understanding. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, I, me and Adrian Van Vactor used to go to a coffee shop out here and just sit with a bunch of college students and literally debate. Me and him would always take different sides wow. and we would debate each other. And we'd go through the scriptures and just <clears throat> tackle it. He, he'd be like, one saved. He, I remember he took, I think, this position of that you're saved. One saved, always saved. And I took the position of, no, you can lose your salvation, bro. <laughs> and, and so I, I'm like, shipwreck your faith, man. That's what it says in Timothy. Like, you, that, sounds pretty, that sounds pretty bad. <laughs> you don't want to shipwreck your faith. Like, where's that at? You know, I mean, how's that with eternal security? It sounds like it's pretty important to stay in faith with with Christ uh, it sounds yeah. like you could walk away from that and your faith can be shipwrecked um, that doesn't sound very well and so and he would bro the Bible says that we're elect God's elect he's elected us you know did you have any part to play in that election uh, no I didn't <laughs> well then you know and, and so it would go back and forth but you know, we could have it was good um, for us when we were in our 20s to do that but I think as I've gotten older, I just kind of say, hey, let's just affirm everything the Bible's affirming. Hmm. You know, do you have anything to Sounds add like to that, plan. Sean? No, no just remember, stick to the text. When it comes to uh, salvation, Scripture is very explicit. There is one name by which we are saved, Christ Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. as uh, beloved and now glorified brother in the Lord once observed, I believe in the eternal security of those who abide in a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Your Chuck Smith's getting pretty good, man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I yeah. believe in the eternal insecurity of those who don't. You meet on right. those terms, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. totally. But hopefully that brother that he's meeting with is cool with just affirming the things that the right. Bible's affirming. Right, and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. And that's good. Yeah, well, that was a question from, uh, from Robert, right? Yes, thank you. Thank you for that question. Um, Moving on, this show is just flying by. We have a question from Joplin. Um, 
along the same lines, a bit of a theme going on here. I heard that apologetics won't convince people to come to Christ, but it is your testimony that does. Is this true? Sean kind of mentioned that earlier with the, yeah. the more emotional and the more intellectual. So is it apologetics? Is it just that kind of proof and those facts that will bring people? Or is it more emotional appeal or both? Or does it depend on who we're talking to? Yeah, people question. aren't, you know, check boxes. You don't yeah. have a personality type that says, okay, this person uh, needs to have these questionnaires filled out in their emotional psyche, and then they're going to be convinced. Um, great example is ministering, say, for instance, to Muslims or former Jehovah's Witnesses. They've been raised with this intense, and I mean that in every sense of the term, not just distaste, but terror at the idea of calling Jesus the God of the Bible. And when it comes to anyone who's going to bring that up, there's going to be some barriers that have to be broken down from the inside rather than the outside. Uh, when it comes to what saves people, what's going to bring people to salvation, don't clip this until you've heard the full sentence. Telling someone the whole Bible, chapter and verse, will not lead them to Christ. Proving that to them the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, will not bring them to Christ. Showing them emotionally the most radical life changes will not bring them to Christ. Doing wonderful things for them, being the most Christ-like example that you could imagine, will not bring them to Christ. Mm. Answering every single philosophical argument that they level at you with perfect and coherent and consistent clarity will not bring them to Christ. You know who brings you to Christ? Notice I said who? the Holy Spirit, and he can do something in and through your life that's going to perhaps work on, to use uh, Greg Kokel's term, do a little gardening to soften up the ground, so to speak. But when it comes down to it, we need to understand that, you know, parting the Red Sea, raising Lazarus from the dead, uh, causing a donkey to talk when it's being beaten by a, uh, a corrupt prophet, I should say. All of that is nothing in comparison to the greatest miracle we're seeing on a daily basis around the world, and that is a soul that is dead in its trespasses and sins, that yeah. is by nature a child of wrath, to understand and receive their need for a Savior. Mm -hmm. So when we understand that that's a miracle, and by a miracle we mean something that wouldn't have happened without outside influence, specifically God, with the intent of glorifying His name and honoring His Word, how that's done can vary. It can be through apologetics, which means to give a defense or an answer. It can be through polemics, like pointing out the flaws in their religious worldviews and saying this doesn't add up. It can be through emotional appeal and saying, look, I love you, God loves you, and I want you to know that too. Yeah. That was what convinced my father, right? It can be through social influence and saying, you know, all the people in my life seems like the Christians just aren't the jerks. I might want to look more into this. It can be a lot of things, but understand you aren't the one doing it. The Holy Spirit's working on the inside, and we get to be instruments from the other angle. So when it comes to the old strategy that you never want to fight a war on two fronts, the battle for a soul is one that's fought from within as well as without. What the Spirit equips you to do is what's going to matter. And if someone refuses what you have to say, understand that may not be their last chance. And understand as well, even if it is, even if like, you know, like a reenactment from a Final Destination film, they just get hit by a bus the moment after and they have to answer the Lord for that. Mm -hmm. That's not your problem. 
you did right by them by witnessing and how you witnessed and how biblically and accurately and Christ-like you gave that witness, whether it was earnestly contending for the faith, getting in someone's face specifically about the issues in their life, or just telling them that God loves them, all statements said in truth and love. That's where our job fits in. But the Holy Spirit's job is to save souls. When it comes to that just doesn't work, that's not biblical. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, mm. but to us that are being saved, it is the power of God. Um, you know, and it's interesting because it, it makes it very clear that the message of the cross, you yeah. know, and when you look at uh, how this kind of plays out in Paul's life in the book of Acts chapter 16, it says, On the Sabbath he went, and this is 16.13, says, on the Sabbath, he went outside the city gate to the river where he expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple clothes from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Hmm. Very cool, right? Yeah. Yeah, God opened up her heart. Yep. You know, what was what did Paul do? He shared the gospel. Yep. You know. And so, you know, that's that's what we do. We share the gospel to people. We let them know about th- what is the gospel that, you know, Christ came, he died for you, mm-hmm. he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and uh, he's coming back, you yeah. know. Um but he died for your sins. I mean, uh, this is the good news that your sins are paid for mm-hmm. and uh you know that kind of thing but yeah it's the lord that opens up the heart so technique style how that you know like sean said man it can it can kind of come in a lot of different ways right. i mean there's a lot of material out there in, in the christian bookstore on you know how to share right yep. you know that's how it's called like you know yep. the right way to share yeah sharing jesus without fear there's yeah. conferences yeah and, you know, that there's stuff. all kinds of things if you don't share this way you're going to get bad converts right. to christianity way of the master and that kind of yeah. thing which is cool but um, tactics. Yeah. i mean i'm yeah. still in christ uh 30 what five to six years now in and um i uh, uh I, for me it was uh falling on my knees at a in in a beach not even knowing the bible and uh, just crying and crying out for god um you know miraculous thing uh, a miraculous thing hit me in the head and and said bo you need to repent you are a sinner and god loves you and he did something to help you Mm. and um and lo and behold um you know i i trusted in this messiah that would atone for my sins yeah um, <laughs> lo and behold, you yeah. know, so it's like you don't need much, man. Not too God, much knowledge God, there, just yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so if God opens up your heart, he opens up your heart. Right, you know? right. But as, Mac D had a question uh, which we've answered, basically, you know, d- does God choose us? What does it take to see and discern the truth? And we've answered that, and that's, like you said, it's the Holy Spirit. You know, yeah. Whichever way it kind of comes, but it's, it comes down and to the cool thing God is, opening our yeah, eyes. Is Jesus taught that the Holy Spirit... It has come into the world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that's really cool, mm-hmm. you know, to think about is that, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit is going to do amazing things to, you know, convict people yep. and of uh, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And, yeah. and, and that's the job. That's his job, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So what we do is we, 
we, you know, God has chosen the foolish things of that which is preached. He's given us a wonderful opportunity in this salvation, mm -hmm. um, and that is to preach the good news yeah. that opens up the eyes of the blind. Right. You know? Amen. But how it does it, how, how that effectually happens is, is, is a mystery. Yeah. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's God's, yeah, God's yeah. job. Yeah, absolutely. Well, real quick, because we are running out of time here. Okay, sure. Um, question, me. yeah, someone's good at this. I'm actually going to wait until this. Rapid. Three seconds left and then give him the question, <laughs> and he'll still answer it. Here, here. Uh, wonderfully, yeah. Uh, question from Hunter. Is it true some demons take longer to come out than others, and are there some demons over cities? There was a follow-up question as well about um, Isaiah, Salvador, Deliverance Ministries, but what do we know about de uh, demons? Obviously, it's a huge topic of demon possession and how they come out and all that kind of stuff, but anything you can share with us in no, a couple Regarding of the latter half, any deliverance ministry, do not just flat out, no. Uh, when it comes down to it, there's a fundamental mishandling of Scripture in order to put forward the idea that human beings aren't responsible for what they do, that there's a demon behind every corner, and that if we distance ourselves from the, uh, I guess, bizarre ideas of this whole demonology, this uh, order and structure of the quote-unquote unseen realm and so forth, it ends up missing the whole point of the one thing, and I say that intentionally, the one thing the Bible actually actually tells us about spiritual warfare. So you, you want to know how to perform an exorcism instantaneously? You, you want to know that the secret of the unseen realm and all that stuff? Here's James chapter 4 and verse 8. You ready? This, this, is, uh, this is strong stuff. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You don't have to know any names. You, what? Don't, you don't have to uh, bring it up with the uh, which circle of hell they're from or the nine yeah. lords of hell. You don't have to figure out which direction to put their hands. You don't have to beat or abuse anybody. No pea soup. You draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. What's, and what I think is being brought up is the idea that the disciples at the bottom of the hill after the Mount of Transfiguration, we could not cast it out. Jesus said, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Right. What are those things? Drawing near to God, prayer, yeah. communication with God, fasting, prioritizing God and fellowship with God. That's the point. So if you make your relationship with God a priority, then the only thing that is required of you in any legitimate encounter with the demon is the name of Jesus. And regarding any quote-unquote demonic influence over you, the presence of Jesus deals with that. First John said it resoundingly, greater is he that is in you, the Holy Spirit, than he was in the world. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, <laughs> maybe tomorrow you guys could pick up on that one. Yeah, it's a big, obviously a big topic. Yeah, we're out of time for today. Bo, thank you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. No Sean, problem. thank you as well. Thanks for putting up with me. Oh, well, absolutely. Anytime. We'll be back again tomorrow, same time, same place. Thank you for being part of A Reason for Hope for your questions. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful evening. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.